Hello, babes and trolls, kids and queers. Welcome to Millenniagram, the Enneagram podcast your pastor definitely won't be recommending. Together, we are here to learn a little self-deprecation, a little integration, and together, dig ourselves out of our goddamn ditches. Let's get into it. Hey, uh, my name's Allison Thompson. Uh, I use the pronoun she, her, and I am a writer and community organizer here in St. Louis. Amazing. Um, I am so excited to hear your voice and like get to meet you virtually. I've been following your work on Instagram for some time, and I'm just, I'm just so excited to have you. <laughs> yeah, same, same. I feel like we've been like yeah, wanting to work with each other for a bit without realizing it from the other person's end. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I was listening to your, your this podcast uh, from the beginning, and it was like one of my like uh, introductions to the Enneagram. Really so, exciting! Super thankful for it. Yeah, it was like a refreshing non-Christian like intro to the Enneagram I feel like everywhere it's just like all of these like uh Christian accounts on Instagram and everything so it was helpful to hear like a more like irreverent discussion (laughs) well I feel like the Enneagram is something that can be integrated into whatever your spirituality is really well but it's not I feel like it's something that you should you should learn about from a non-spiritual lens and then integrate it as it fits you best. Exactly. Um, So tell me um, a little bit about how you discovered what your... So I want to say this first. The more that I'm finding out about the Enneagram, the more that I'm realizing, and I think it's important to say, um, nobody is just one type, right? Like we have our wings, we have our integration and disintegration points, and sometimes we just have parts of our personality that do not line up with a number. Um, But I would say that most people tend to navigate their lives with one kind of base number and then experience other efficiencies from there. So um, I would love to know like what your, which number you identify with the most, which one and why that kind of spoke to you. Yeah. um, I mean, I remember when I first was like looking into the Enneagram, I like thought that I was a five, but I feel like I was really, like, depressed at the time and just feeling really (laughs) internal, and so I was, like, resonating with a lot of parts of five, but then I would tell all my friends who were, like, super into the Enneagram, and they're like, oh, no, 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 you are not a five, (laughs) and they're like, pretty sure that you're a nine, like, read the nine description, then I read it, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm, like, resonating so hard. Um, and so, yeah, I, um, for a while have, uh, resonated with nine wing one okay. the most. Um, but yeah, like you said, I, as I've dug into it more, I'm like, oh, like, uh, like the Enneagram is not one of those typing systems where you're just like, it's great for me to like keep resonating super strongly with this one type and that's who I am forever. It's like all about this like flow and integration. And so sometimes, I'm just like, actually, like, the less I can, like, resonate with nine, I feel like I'm getting healthy in some ways. Like, if if there's, like, more integration happening. Totally. um, Or if I'm, like, reading, 
yeah, people's descriptions of nine. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not resonating with that, like, as strongly. Um, Just because I realized, like, oh, it's about the, like, a lot about the coping mechanisms and survival strategies from when I was younger. So if I'm, like, healing and growing, like, maybe I'm not resonating with maybe just, like, the, like, the unhealthy aspects of my number as much. And if I can, like start to really and I mean as a nine two you kind of do already identify with a lot of other numbers yeah yeah Um, but yeah so no that I think that's a great way to put it and I've run into a lot of folks who are self-actualizing and they're starting to like kind of get bummed out by the Enneagram memes and stuff because they're like man what what's the problem like I just don't relate anymore um Mm -hmm. and I think you're absolutely right that that's probably a good sign like obviously it's fun to to play with um the memes and the irreverence and all that I love that but I think there's a space for like wow the the more that I can unidentify with just this one way of navigating Mm -hmm. my life and the world the more the more healthy and expansive of like the human experience I probably am for sure yeah and I feel like the Enneagram is like a tool of liberation of like it's actually highlighting like the way the patterns that you've been stuck in and it was the Enneagram is actually a tool for me to like really begin my like understanding of self journey and was kind of a major spark in me like leaving evangelical Christianity and um, coming out and just realizing like there are these patterns that I was stuck in that very much like reflected like why I'd stayed in like my particular religion of origin for so long. Interesting. Yeah, so it was, like, revealing, like, oh, I don't want to be stuck in these particular patterns, like, while also embracing, like, oh, these are, like, really beautiful gifts that I have as this number, too. What would you say that it was about um, the evangelical experience that sort of, like, um, that resonated the most with being a nine? Um... Well, one, one reason I realized I needed to, like, like cold turkey leave instead of just, like, find a progressive church was that, like, nines tend to, like, merge with their environments and, mm. um, and kind of existing as this, like, one phrase that stuck out to me was, like, going along to get along and a lot of this, like, anti-confrontational stuff. Right. And, um... And I'd realized, because I was kind of digging into, like, astrology around the same time, and I know that's, like, a big thing now, too, but I'm a Leo, and I never, like, resonated with the description growing up, plus, like, Christianity told me that it wasn't, like, good to dig into astrology so (laughs) right um, right and I was like yeah I'm just not resonating with a Leo and then when I was studying the Enneagram and I realized like oh there I might have a tendency to like suppress or like ignore myself and my needs um and kind of having this like personal amnesia um so I started asking the question like what am I what am I suppressing when am I suppressing and like who am I suppressing that around and why and I started to kind of notice like more of like when something inside of me would come up like maybe being like loud and bold or like wanting attention and like embracing that um I would start to kind of like swallow that 
and, um, and just realize like, oh, these are like aspects of like being a Leo that I'm suppressing a lot. And mm. so that was what kind of, I mean, and also I've just been digging to, into a lot of like trauma and psychology stuff and just realizing like, oh, I've been living as this suppressed survival self, but like this like culmination of all of these things, like is not actually me. Like it's this personality that was shaped in this environment that like did not allow me to be my full like multitudinous self um (laughs) and so um and and that's like so much of what I love about nines in particular is this like embracing of like the multitude of the interconnectedness of all things um and this desire to like be in connection and community and so I could see like how um, the like promise of connection and family and community like really kept me there for a while because I was so afraid of disconnecting, so afraid of people not liking me, um, and just like feeling that sense of like abandonment and loss. Um, and mm. so there are so many things that I, I realized like, oh, I haven't agreed with these things for a long time, but like, <laughs> I'm so, I was so good at being a Christian. Like I was really looked at to like give like wisdom and insight and kind of this like teaching role. And I was going to go to seminary and I even like worked at a seminary that I was about to attend, like while I was like in my final stages of like deconstruction or I guess the beginning stages of it but like final stages of like heading out of the church Mm, um okay and so yeah I I don't know I think um yeah it's interesting to kind of look at a lot of of trauma research around like family or um I guess like caregivers and things like that and like so much of what I navigated like when I look at that research it wasn't my parents in particular it was like like God as parent or caregiver and like church and like what I was taught in those settings yeah that just kind of revealed a lot of like abusive tendencies and a lot of you have to think about God and other people before yourself. And I was like, oh, this is why, like, every time I look internal and, like, ask, like, who am I? It's just, like, this static and this fuzz, which is, like, a, a lot of what nines will describe, like, when they look internally of, like, what do I want? And this whole thing about, like, not being able to choose a restaurant or, you know, it's, like, it's something as silly as that to major life decisions and I'd given over my decision making power and skills over to um over to God over to people that were in authority over me over to the Bible and just didn't really have any space to explore myself to ask myself what I wanted because I was navel gazing and evil and selfish and all of my understanding of self had to come through my understanding of of God um and so I could really see like how that enabled so much disconnection and disassociation um in addition to like uh yeah being queer and being black and mixed race and all of these things that were kind of uncomfortable to be in a, I grew up in, uh, in Alabama and Georgia and I grew up in 
mostly white um, evangelical Protestant um, like churches in the suburbs and there are just so many ways that like being fully myself just was uncomfortable to people and it was uncomfortable to myself and kind of the the worst thing that you could you could do was to assert yourself um, and make much of yourself Um, and so I just kind of cowered and lowered myself and uh, yeah this kind of like servant role was like really pushed on me and just this like submissiveness I was in um yeah a lot of churches where it was like men were heads of the household and in leadership and you just kind of like submit and obey I think when I looked at yeah a lot of the trauma research and attachment theories and all that kind of stuff um I was realizing that like oh god as my caregiver, church as my family, as my community, like shaped a lot of this trauma inside of me. Um, this, um, this fundamentalist way of being that was about, um, putting God and others before yourself, any sort of like introspection, any sort of asking yourself what you want, um, what you desire was seen as like evil and sinful and selfish. And I could just really see how that was shaping a lot of my, um, like disconnection from self, a lot of my dissociation and a a lot of when I would look internally and ask like, who I am, who am I? Or like, what do I want? Um, basic decisions to like really big life decisions or like identity conversations it was this like internal static that was going on which is what a lot of nines will describe like when they look internally and it kind of like built and strengthened this like personal amnesia and I would just constantly be like changing my mind and really confused and a lot of like triple checking and second guessing because it was this like every decision that you make is this like has eternal weight you know and yeah um and every you know is this god's will like whose voice is this is this my voice is this the devil is this the world is this the holy spirit and so it just like built in this like anxiety mixed with perfectionism of like wanting to like live according to like how God wanted me to live and um, appear like likable and impressive to the community that I was in and like build this reputation of like being a good girl, like being a good Christian. Um, And what it did is it just like trained trained this response in me that it was like any time like myself like tried to emerge I would just immediately suppress it and like push it down. Um, And I would always like call myself like a slow processor um, of, and I realized like, no, I've like trained myself to not listen to myself. And so that's why like decisions and like desires like don't click easily or like did. And I'm working on that a lot, but um, yeah, it just really, like, trained me to be this, like, suppressed survival self to not, like, exist um, in all of who I am because I was a Christian first. And so, like, my race didn't matter. My sexuality didn't matter. Um, my desires and interests, like, they all had to be 
kind of like outsource like to this deity to people that were in authority over me and my family or in the church and so I never really learned these like yeah just these introspective tools and so that's kind of I feel like that's why I really like gravitated towards all these typology systems that would help me to like develop this sense of self um, cause I didn't know how to do that work and right, it was tricky right. too. Cause I, I didn't want to fill this like vacuum or this like void of, of religion with some other religion. Um, and so I was really careful to like, <laughs> not, <laughs> I was like, I guess Enneagram could be a religion. I feel like astrology kind of has that pull as well. And so I was like anything that can just help me to like return back to my own voice, help me to like hear that more clearly. Like I'm all about that. And it was really tricky to like, to figure that out at first, but I could just feel like when I looked, um, at the Enneagram and other systems, I was like, okay, this is like hitting me in a new way. And I just got all of this language that I'd never had before. Um, not only for like what I was doing, but like where that might have have come from and so that helped me to do a lot of like past work um and a lot of like inner child healing and just yeah all of this stuff and it was amazing like what this one system like kind of connected to all of this other research that's been emerging that I'm, I'm so thankful for um and I'm 29 now I, I started leaving kind of around like 26 and I would get really bummed about like having stayed in like Christianity for so long or having come out like later in life. But I'm also really thankful to like be coming out and like into this world, like with all of the, these resources here to like help me to do that, like internal work. Yeah. Wow. I, it's so apparent the work that you've done. I, I did like a deep dive on everything that you have out there. Um, as I was preparing for this interview and I was like, Oh my God, like the thing that, that kept revealing itself to me was how much work that you have done to be in conversation with your body Mm. and to really do the, the challenging work of knowing her well. And I think the piece that a lot of people miss in that, in that work is all of the past work that you have to like all of the, the, the narratives and the stories that were written um, beforehand, like you're not just coming to your body now in the present, you are also reckoning with the history that she's had up until now. Oh, yeah. Um, So, and what I think is really cool is, okay, so the nine is in the intuitive triad. And I think Mm -hmm. so often, um, because nines tend to be more pulled back, maybe more withdrawn. Mm-hmm. We hear a lot from eights. We hear a lot from ones about their um, intuitive knowing and how harnessing that power like gives them agency to to navigate their lives. Um, and I was really excited. I I got to read a few of the poems that you've written from On Becoming. And I was just like, oh my God, this, this person has like dug deep and you can feel it. Um, can you tell me sort of about your journey of connecting with your body in like practical, visceral ways? Was there anything about 
experiencing life as a nine that made that that um that deep dive easier or harder mm. yeah um i always remember like having this like really strong sense of like this internal fire inside of me like for as long as i can remember and it was in this voice that was like very much this like truth-telling voice and so even like inside of the church like i wasn't like super concerned with like evangelism or um kind of the out the outside world like i was really concerned with like what was happening inside and like in the community and just like all of this like this sense of justice which i feel like comes a lot from like the one one wing that i have um sure and but like what would happen is like there would sort of be this like catch in my throat like i could feel in my body where it was like mm, those words should not come out um hmm. like you don't want to like stir the pot you don't want to agitate folks <laughs> right. and this is like a community that like can't really handle like any sort of like challenging um yeah in this like sense of like justice and like we need an overhaul and we need to change ourselves and um and so yeah i just i did a lot of writing just throughout my life um and so when i was like really deconstructing a lot of stuff over the last several years um writing was this tool for me that like okay if my like body cannot speak these words like through my mouth like my hand can do it wow. like and that feels easier for me to like have this be like okay this is a personal thing right now and i mean it was so fascinating because i always describe to people like what like this suppressed survival self was like for me was this beach ball that I was just like pushing underwater constantly and then eventually it just like shot up um you know out of the water and and that's what I mean even mm. throughout my life like I could see my desires myself kind of shooting out sideways you know from this like pressure of being suppressed mm. um and so I could see that like in my sexuality with this like this uh unhealthy relationship with pornography which I'm like all for pornography now but like it was so like evil for like anybody to express their sexuality and then porn was so evil but it was like a, a guy's issue and so for me like as a like queer woman to like be struggling with porn it was like i can't tell anybody because this is not even like a girl's issue um and so it just it kind of like drove this like i don't i don't like to say addiction because i don't think it was an addiction but it was mm. just this like this desperation and i had convinced myself that i was like addicted to pornography and there's all of this like fear around it but it was like at least i'm not having sex with somebody like at least it's not the, the, <laughs> right. the worst thing it could be um and i'd even like <laughs> admitted myself to like i like didn't tell anybody but i just like admitted myself to these like group counseling sessions on like people struggling with sexuality and same-sex attraction and all of those sorts of things and 
So, but I could see, like, looking back, like, oh, that was just because, like, I was suppressing it so hard. And, like, when I, um, like, just began to ask questions, like, even, like, what does it look like for me to, like, embrace, like, digging into my racial identity, which was, like, Mm. just a point of, like, major discomfort for the community that I grew up in um, that... Because uh, I'd also lived at this as this like really palatable black person where people were just like, oh, you're not even like black, black. You're like, you know, or like an Oreo or like you're the whitest black person that I know. Like all of these like, Ugh, oh, things. Jesus. And so I could look back on that and be like, oh, that's also why those people were comfortable being friends with me because I was white adjacent, basically. Mm, and so right. as I kind of stepped into myself more fully like as a black person as like a person who cared about my experience around race cared about like the lack of diversity that was present or the comments that people would make like people started to kind of like pull away from me a bit or if I was like more vocal on social media I just got so much backlash and I was like damn like if people cannot handle me being a black person like they will not be able to handle me being queer they will not be able to handle me (laughs) not being a Christian anymore and um and but it was like once I just like allowed myself to like ask what if you know this is who you were it like every part of me was just like hey 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 like I have something to say too or like I want to be out in the world and um I don't know maybe I've been like waiting little, for this question like, this is why the little mermaid resonated with me I don't know like, oh <laughs> that's precious <laughs> and um but yeah, I it was a lot. Like I I was really overwhelmed because there are just so many parts of myself that did, were not allowed to exist, were not allowed to be. And then for me to like be confronted with them suddenly, I was like so exhausted all the time. And the way that I could like get it out was through writing of just Mm. like letting myself speak and just like getting it and it was just I was writing constantly are you a fan of nudes yes this is a trick question um I never thought that I would be saying this but queer twitter is literally the only place to be like if you're not there like what are you doing um And when I was fundraising to try and keep this podcast alive, um, everybody contributed their nudes and what we call lewds and hofos um, to get this show back on the motherfucking road, you feel? So um, if you would like to get in on the fun... Um, I'm kind of changing up what the Patreon looks like, but um, I definitely know that you're going to have access to content before everyone else. And number two, um, lots of sexy pictures. They're not up there yet, but we're going to be working on that in the months to come because I couldn't just do that shit the one time. Um, And then... Honestly, you're going to have, like, unedited interviews, so you're going to hear the shit that we had to cut um, because it was maybe fascinating and fucking classic and brilliant, but, um, you know, people have short attention spans, except for you, because you um, have a bigger brain.
that's not science. Um, but please join us on Patreon. Um, if you just search patreon.com slash milleniagram, um, join our posse, $1, $5, like whatever you can do. Um, it really keeps our show on the road. The majority of our patrons are $1 and $5 donors, and I fucking love that shit because it means that um, capitalism is sucking us all dry, and yet we are doing, you know, giving our widows fucking might to keep alive the things that we love. And I'm grateful to contribute to one of the things that you love. Let's continue writing this story together. Patreon.com slash milleniagram. Go find it, hun something that was like important for me um was um like realizing like okay if I've been in a relationship with myself and I look back on like what I was taught um in my upbringing about myself and about my body like I was in an abusive relationship with my body for 25 years um right and that takes a lot of work to like heal an abusive relationship and to like build that sense of trust to like undo the like violent behavior the violent language um and something that happened when I started to pay attention to my body was like noticing like where like where my anxiety rested and it was like very much like in my gut and like in my digestive system and I've like had digestive issues my whole life and I just thought like oh I'm sensitive like I have like a dairy intolerance (laughs) like that was sort of like my main issue and I'm like oh or just like the like major like dysfunctional way that I grew up that I was in relationship to my body and especially to my to my gut like this instinctive thing which was like why like finding out I was in the instinctive triad was so powerful I was like oh this is not just where my anxiety lies like this is where myself lies and so like that's why there's so much mm, turmoil there right. is because like that is a place that I either listen to myself or I continue to like ignore and suppress myself and so there's this kind of like like yeah battle happening there that like doesn't need to happen and so this language around like integration and like movement and spaciousness was so good for me to hear because I was already exploring that around my racial identity of like what if I don't have to choose if I'm like white or black but I can just be in this like expansive space and then like exploring my queerness like also allowed me to be in this like expansive place of like what if there is like spaciousness and like room to like evolve and grow and like get to know myself instead of like harshly labeling myself and like being in this very like binary existence and so for me like that's also what I love about nine is just this like movement this adaptability and moving from adapting as survival to like adapting as this embracing of my gift of connection um wow and yes That's so beautiful. I just, I feel like I want to like hoot and holler. (laughs) I'm so excited. Um, That's so beautiful. So is that essentially the space that your book came from? Yeah, it was, I mean, everything. So I started writing and I just, they were all like on the notes app on my phone. And it was kind of around the same time that I also started taking selfies 
like I, I used to think like selfies are so dumb and they're so like <laughs> right. self-centered and narcissistic da 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 and I was like mm, that's also like this this aspect of like me wanting to be like seen and known and like have attention like that's a human need like it's not necessarily like self-centered and gross but just like it's a way for me to get to know myself and to like see myself and to like put myself into the world in a visual way and then I was also doing that like through my writing as well and so sometimes like um so what I started to do was like to take these notes like from my phone um onto instagram and just started like posting and um so basically the book like follows the order um of uh of when i posted them on instagram so it's kind of this like overview of that journey um this like evolution of myself which is like still continuing right now but just was this like period that was really intense for me and as I started like putting it out there more like I mean every time I posted something like people really resonated with it really loved it and and I knew from even before like when I was writing like from a Christian perspective and everything like people really loved my writing so I've always identified like as a writer and I feel like I'm really good at it and um but this was another aspect of like revealing this like very like vulnerable and scary truth about myself which is kind of why I chose poetry because it wasn't necessarily like explicit like what I was diving into so I could start posting it even though I hadn't like revealed to my whole like past community like hey I'm not a Christian anymore hey I'm queer like all of these things and it was a way um, I felt like it, a lot of what I write is general enough that like people can apply these like ideas to their own specific like situation circumstances. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Because like I mean I I I think like I mean I experience these things within a specific context, but like they were these like larger like issues and struggles that I feel like are pretty universal as somebody like living in a society that's like deeply shaped by, um, by capitalism, by white supremacy, by Christianity, like this particular expression of Christianity I grew up in. Um, and so I could just see like a lot of people were resonating with, with the specifics of what I was saying, but also just this like active vulnerability, And that was, like, super scary for me to do, but it was, like, every time I did it, it felt easier because I could see, like, people were receiving what I had to say. And then also it was, like, it kind of initiated this, like, period of time where, um, like, I I just felt this, like, magnetism from myself. Um, I felt like people were really drawn to me and like my like Instagram followers were increasing and it was just like really weird for me to navigate because like so much of what I struggled with before like was being seen and like being noticed Mm, and one of uh one of my pieces that's not in the book um it's called pride and I was reflecting around like pride season and just like a lot of a lot of statements of like 
not being seen and like everything that I do, like sort of being this like reflection back to, back to God. And, um, and so it was scary for me to just like put myself out there and like be seen and be vulnerable. But it was like, as I was being more myself in the world, like people were more drawn to me. And so it was almost this like affirming of the work I was doing of like, oh, like as you are more yourself, people are drawn to who you truly are and like the work that you're doing. And so just like being vulnerable was like really impacting folks, like not just in my writing, but I started to do that as I was building like new community here um, in St. Louis of just being like, hey, I'm going to be straight up with you. Like I'm navigating like all of this transition right now. Like, and it was scary, scary for me to like, be like, I am newly queer or like I am newly (laughs) not a Christian. Cause it was this like other coming out that you have to do on the other side of like, what if all the queers reject me because I'm a baby queer, but I'm like 26 (laughs) and like nobody's going to want to date me or be friends with me or like want to have to deal with me but it's like everybody's just like it's your story like do what you want and I decided not to date like initially just so I could like have some space to like get to know myself and like be in relationship with myself first yeah Um, but yeah I mean it was um yeah I, I think like my my journey with writing was really this like conversation with myself and just this time to be like what do you have to say and and a lot of people describe like going inward and I don't feel like I was like intentionally doing that like I said like I had suppressed stuff for so long just that all the inner stuff was coming out like I didn't have to like go inside because everything was like (laughs) we are coming outside (laughs) we must yeah emerge and so and it, it is like this inner work but it was this inner stuff that was coming out that like helped me to to notice it to hear it to see it so I think that is so cool because it's such an indicator of um you know, those, those young traumatized parts that were inside you that, that hadn't had, um, that hadn't been able to like vocalize their needs and their fears and all of that. Like, um, it says so much about the reparenting work that you were doing that they, um, that they were ready to just like give you everything they got. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, um, it's interesting what you mentioned earlier about like coming to terms with yourself as being in an abusive relationship with your own body. Um, that repair work takes a long time and it takes quite a while for those parts to start to realize, okay, this is a safe person (laughs) for me to open up to. Um, and it's strange to consider that as like this whole internal conversation going on. Um, but that's just really cool to see that the the work of making your inner work come outward was so, um, once you got into the flow of it, it's like it was an intuitive process for you. Mm. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, a lot of people would like always call me like pretty self-aware, And some people even said, like, you don't even need to go to counseling because, like, you're so self-aware. And I was like, well, there's a difference between, (laughs) I was like, what do I do with everything I'm aware of, you know? (laughs) 
that can actually <laughs> be really it? distressing to just be like, ah, here is like all of these things about myself. So yeah, I think that's been like the, the practice of like, okay, like you're hearing all of these things, like, are you listening? And it's been like that practice of like shifting from the like intuition to the like embodiment of it, of like, okay, like I have like opened myself up to here, but am I now going to like respond and like start to embody like these things that I'm learning about myself and like the healing that, that I need to shift into kind of on this, like in this physical way. And, um, And so I've really felt like there's so many words and so much writing and like so much talking um, that I could just really feel myself gravitating towards like I need to do some more like embodiment kind of work, like embodied therapy and like dancing and and all of those sorts of things, because my body's just like, you just need to like release all of this (laughs) grief, like not just through talking, like so many words, so many thoughts. So many words. It's so true. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, you mentioned it, uh, momentarily, but I'd love to, I'd love to dig in a little bit more to, um, what like healing yourself from capitalism has looked like for Mm. you. Um, I think one of the things that I, that I think nines often teach us a lot about is to sort of audit the pace at which we live, um, and the, the constant, um, you know, we have that internal voice of like, you need to do more, you need to produce more, you need to, um, you know, there's, there's just kind of this frantic hamster wheel that, that we can kind of internalize. Um, but I'd love to hear just any thoughts that you have about healing yourself from that. Yeah. Healing yourself from capitalism. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think when I shifted from understanding, like, capitalism is just, like, having to do with money and the economy to, like, what (laughs) what does capitalism teach us about our relationships with ourselves, with each other, like, with the earth, Um, like, that really impacted me, and I think for for forever, I've struggled with myself as, like, a slow person, Mm -hmm. you know, so when I was talking about being a slow processor or just like moving slowly or, you know, just like (laughs) wanting to take my time. And then I like read the Enneagram and it said like fucking sloth was like what nine (laughs) stars. Like, don't tell me I'm a sloth. Like that's a deep insecurity of mine. (laughs) And, um, but yeah, I think when I, um, when, yeah, somebody had said it was, um, not necessarily doing nothing, but just like being driven by the thing you don't want to do. Um, like that was really interesting for me to hear, but, um, Mm, right. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, I can, I can look busy. I can look like I'm doing something, but it's because I'm avoiding this other thing. So my room is super clean, but I still have to write this paper. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, I think with, um, what I have had to tell myself is like slowness and rest are not bad things. And that is something that I've had to combat in myself of like seeing like the, like the ways that I may like sabotage myself or like hurt myself by 
withdrawing, by avoiding, um, by dissociating. So there's that aspect of like, of slowness or withdrawal. But then I also am coming into this like awareness of like, oh, this is a like a beautiful like survival skill as well to like help me to preserve my energy. Um, to like, like maybe I know like something's going to be really intense and I just want to like rest up and like store up for that. And I think that that's something that we're all seeing right now and like realizing right now is just like the pace of capitalism, like does not regard us as human. Yeah. Um, and it like, it regards us as these machines that like, if you die, you die, if you get sick, you get sick, like you're replaceable. And so it just, it says so much to us. Um, and it, it lies so much to us. Um, and, um, and for me, a couple big, um, aspects of capitalism that I've been digging into is, um, one of them is the idea of scarcity. And, um, and so then bringing that understanding into my, my relationship with like the material world, but also into my like relationships with other people. Um, something I struggle with is, um, like other people will always love somebody else more than they love you. And that's like a, a thing that has, I've always struggled with. And I'm just, I had to ask myself one time, I was like, how, how can you even quantify love? Like, how do you actually know, like, how much love somebody has? And that if somebody gives a lot of love to somebody else, that there's not enough left for you. Um, and that's what I've loved. I don't like quite identify as like, uh, polyam, yet I'm still like exploring that but that's something that I've learned a lot from uh from those folks um and that community is just like digging into um into scarcity in that way and just being like wow what if there's actually this like abundance and um what if love is a renewable resource exactly (laughs) like what if oh capitalism hates renewable resources like okay I'm understanding (laughs) now um yeah and it and just seeing like what how how does scarcity drive me like am I being ruled by scarcity right now and like um and I think another yeah aspect of capitalism is this like am I being productive enough um am I doing enough and I see that I am aware of of my slowness that I'm aware of my like withdrawnness or avoidance and I try to overcompensate for that by being like see I'm a good worker like see I'm a good like roommate or friend or whatever like I try to overcompensate for like stepping back and resting and taking care of myself like I still feel really bad if I have to like cancel or reschedule to like take care of myself because like I'm just not feeling it and so like boundaries is a huge thing that that I've been exploring um and I just I realized before like in my like upbringing in every way whether it was around or just seeing yeah, the ties of like the like Protestant work ethic with uh, with capitalism and this sort of like drive for for perfection um, 
this drive for like being a good citizen that I can actually like pay attention to myself and stop and rest. And I just didn't know how to rest um, before or wasn't aware that like this is why I'm withdrawing. It's not because I'm lazy, but because like my body is tired or like my spirit is tired or I'm doing a lot of emotional work. Um, but because I was always so like others focused and like outward focused, um, I didn't know that that's what was going on. And so I noticed like once I began a lot of this work, I noticed my own like aversion to other people having boundaries with me. I think like we talked so much about like other people's response to our boundaries, but I'm just like, "Mm, (laughs) I'm the problematic person that does not like people establishing boundaries with me. I feel rejected. I feel abandoned. I feel like somebody else cares about themselves more than me. How dare they? You know, (laughs) and then I was like, Oh, this is important and it's again that like scarcity of like what if somebody loves themselves too like they're all (laughs) like they're gonna reject me they're gonna leave me and abandon me for themselves and I had to start learning to do that work too of like um yeah like you only have so much capacity and like your capacity is expanded as you take the time to like to rest and something that I've been really interested in around the conversation of self-care is like not just practicing self-care and like response to a really stressful moment a really like traumatic or triggering moment but like what if we're practicing self-care as resilience and as like expansion of our capacity like expansion Mm. Um, so that we don't have to be afraid to, cause we, we, like, we can't, like, we can't just exist in bubbles of safe spaces. Like the world is like, (laughs) is coming at us at all times. And like, we like have to be ready for that random person that just like really like touches on that wound that we have and to be able to be like yeah and I'm just gonna keep moving through my life instead of like I have completely fallen apart by this thing that this person said um yeah so how do we build resilience in ourselves and how does that like that self-care happen in the context of community and that's like where we really build that resilience is like I need a network of care Um, and not just to like fall back on the individualism that I've learned from capitalism. Cause I think that's the, that's the thing that scares me about the, like the self-care movement is like one, you hear this word self and you're like, it's me. Individualistic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay if I like cancel plans and cut off people. And there's just all of this language of like isolation. And I, I really believe like, and I've learned that like, I'm an introvert. I love people, but I do need to recharge. And so I'm totally on board for like solitude of rest of like being by yourself. But it really scares me when people are like, you know what? Like there's like, I'm like, there's discomfort here or there's conflict here. And so like that automatically means that it's like toxic or abusive or like whatever. And I think we have to be really careful with like how we're defining those terms. And I think that we all experience like 
you know, these, like, these triggers differently. And so I can't say, like, that wasn't traumatic for you because it wasn't for me. But I I also, I don't want people that, like, they're not truly, like, triggered. They're just, like, uncomfortable with conflict to be, like, (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) avoid conflict because I'm, you know, I'm triggered. It's, like, actually, like, we just have a really... Like, and I, and I know this, like, as a nine is like, I have been really conflict avoidant and it's because that I think like, that's the best option. Like, I think that like avoiding conflict of not, um, yeah, of not being in conflict means that like, that is a healthy relationship. And for me, like, I've really, like, sought out people now that are really comfortable with conflict, that, like, love it in this sense of, like, this sense of, like, truth-telling, of honesty. And I really see that conflict is this, like, practice of presence, of, like, saying, like, this is the truth of who I am, of who you are, of, like, where we are really at in this relationship. Like, let's meet each other there and, like, build intimacy, and, like, figure out, like, what are each other's needs, and boundaries, and all of those things, and so, like, leaning into, like, I have these boundaries, so I can, like, really, like, be expansive, um, and, like, grow and heal. Yeah, hell yeah, I love that. Um, what do you, so what is your vision of a network of care that centers abundance? Because I think for me, that's always the struggle is how do I, how am I building, how am I building connection in a way that doesn't perpetuate codependency, that doesn't perpetuate trauma bonds, that, um, that allows me to connect with others, um, from a place of self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's challenging. Mm -hmm. And I think the key word is, is network is, um, Because I think codependency can come from leaning really heavily on, like, one or a few people. Sure, sure. Um, And, um, yeah, I think being able to, like, distribute that need to, like, to spread the need, I think. Um, And to, for me, it's been this, like, really strategic thing as, like, as I get to know people and I start asking these questions of, like, what are your needs? Like, what are your boundaries? How can I love you well? Um, and like me also stating those things, I come to it not with the expectation of like, you have to like meet these particular needs at all times, but just being like, and just like continually like being in communication and checking in. And then I start to realize like, this is a really great person or like, these are really great people to go to for this. Or like, these are really great people to like go out dancing with, but like this (laughs) friend, we're going to like Netflix and like play with puzzles or, you know, or read together or something. (laughs) And so you just like, and yeah, it's not just about like, what can you do for me? But like, how can I spend time with you? Like, what are these like relational needs and like ways of connecting with people, with each other? Um, Like, what does that look like? And I, for some reason, when I started to like imagine this, I was thinking of, all the Harry Potter fans are going to be mad at me, but I don't remember what it's called, but it's that map that is like invisible 
The Marauder's Map. Yes. And so just like see. <laughs> I love that I knew that. So I can just like see all of my relationships walking around on this map and I can see their names. Um, and then it's like a mixture of that with this, like the flight, um, uh, path maps where you like see all these like lines <laughs> of connections that where are do like we interact? different colors. Yeah. yeah. And so like what colors, like what kind of connection do I have with this person? Like what kind of energy exchange do I have? Like maybe they are giving me something, but it's like not really great energy or like, I am like giving a lot to this person and I'm not going to cut them off for that. Um, but like, how am I like being cared for and fed as well? And I think that that's something that like is really important that we like one, don't get like honed on in on one person to like meet all of our needs at all times. Um, and that we stay in communication with people because like maybe this was a really great person to have this particular kind of relationship with, but like that changes, like we all are shifting and growing and changing and wanting this person to be like constant and always be the same. Like that's, that's just not reality. Um, right. and I think that's where like resentment comes from and like, they're not giving from, uh, from the same place anymore. Um, so I think for me, it's about like this, this comfort with being vulnerable about, um, about what we need, about what we like desire, about what we want. Um, because it can be really like, maybe I can be like, I really need a hug or I really want to cuddle right now. But to be like, I really need some money right now. Like that's a whole other level of vulnerability. Maybe I'm not comfortable <laughs> sure. with. Um, yeah. So yeah, comfort with that and comfort with conflict. Um, and, and I, I'm discovering all of this because like, these are so many things that I'm so, I have been so uncomfortable with and am like still needing to work through, but I realized like, Oh my God, I desperately need this. And I feel actually so safe with people that are like the way that I can love you is to like engage in conflict with you so that like we can be better with each other. And I would rather have that than somebody who like completely falls apart when I just like, I'm frustrated with them when I have like a tone in my voice and right. you know, that person completely right. falls apart. Like it makes me feel insecure and unsafe to like be my full self um, with that person and to know that like they um, like they can hear me and like hold that and like hold space for me um, because so often I would hear people say like, oh, you're so great at like holding space for other people. And what I realized I was doing is I was like disappearing so that like that person yeah. can take up the whole space. And for me, relationships that are like really, um, really solid and really secure to me is like where both people have space to exist, like both people's feelings can fully exist in that space. And then they may even seem contradictory. Um, but like I can one feel like sad or like feel a sense of rejection. If you like establish a boundary with me and also totally understand you setting that boundary with me. And I just need to like work through, like maybe this is just like an old wound that I need to like, 
you know, come into alignment with like, in my head, I understand this, but like my body still feels this rejection when I hear these words or when I feel this like sense of like separation. Um, yeah, yeah. So absolutely. That's, that's been like a point of healing for me is like studying all these things and like knowing, you know, kind of on a head level and then integrating that, like kind of in this like heart body level. Um, yeah. Yeah. I really love that. Um, I just have a couple more questions for you. Um, what does, what does showing up as yourself, um, look like today as a queer person of color, a nine wing one who is living through pandemic? What are, what are your difficulties? What are your joys and hopes as you navigate this? Mm. Yeah. Um, I definitely noticed myself initially when all of this happened, um, like fluctuating between this like shutdown and then this like hyper active mode. Um, of like wanting to withdraw from this like world that was like really scary and overwhelming and um and then also wanting to like super show up to it and just be like let's fix all of the problems (laughs) like let's meet everyone's needs to like you know like bring justice to like care for everybody and um yeah and so I'd kind of fluctuate between the two and I noticed like a lot of my like gut anxiety was like shifting up to my chest and into my heart and um yeah I think it was just like as I was dealing with a lot of emotions and uh anxiety and depression and um and I see this like it kind of confronts you with, um, with death and with grief. Yeah. Um, and, uh, have I learned how to like move through grief? Have, how am I doing with like having left this like religion that kind of like made me feel comforted by like, where am I going or like what happens or like, you know, this being is going to take care of me to like, okay, so what do I do in this like really extreme circumstance? And, um, so there's been a lot of like those like, um, anxieties and fears and just like figuring out how to cope. And then I've, I've noticed over this like quarantine time of like leaning into those skills of connection and interconnection and just really believing in um like these things that I was talking about with my friends even before all of this of just like okay like what is how are we practicing boundaries now like what does this network of care look like in this context and um like how do we like stay in touch about what each of us needs um and just like kind of having this like digital relationship now without like (laughs) slipping into digital fatigue I feel like um we're all on so many zoom calls and social media and instagram lives and things like that and so um yeah I think for me I've really had to resist um the like the kind of quarantining that nines can do 
um, out of avoidance. Like since I'm already quarantined, it's like kind of like triggering this like deeper like sense of isolation and quarantine. And so I've had to lean into to my people and like and reach out and then sometimes like people are reaching out to me and I'm just like I just don't have the capacity to like talk in this way (laughs) like I can't even text you back right now and being okay so it's just like conversation over and over again of like it's okay to rest and it's okay to rest for a long time like that may feel really unproductive right now um you may feel like you're being lazy or whatever but like this is good. This is okay. Um, and noticing like when at that, yeah, just like I'm coping, I'm trying to survive like the best way that I can. And, um, with what I know and something that I'd reflected on recently was just that like coping is our body's way of, of surviving, of reaching for like peace and pleasure. And I think that that's what nines really are good at (laughs) and like love to (laughs) do is like I just want all the peace and all the pleasure and um sometimes we do that by showing up and sometimes we attempt to do that by like disconnecting but yeah I'm trying to learn like what is that what does it look like for me to show up and in rest and in pleasure and like celebrate that and embrace that and notice when I'm like doing that by like disconnecting from everything. And that may, that may not actually be like true peace and like true pleasure, but like, it's also okay if just in that moment, I don't have the capacity to show up how I always want to and like rejecting that like perfectionism. Yeah. Or even this idea of like, I I've noticed a lot, when I, you know, with all of my relationships being digital right now of like, Mm -hmm. man, I just don't have anything. I don't have anything profound to say. Mm -hmm. I don't have like, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of bandwidth to give, but I just, I still want to exist in community with you somehow. Mm. So can we just like Netflix party this show? (laughs) And and so it feels like we're doing something together without... I don't know. I think it's another holdover from evangelicalism that relationship always feels like I have to be Mm. on somehow. I've been really leaning into sharing memes and TikToks and music. (laughs) Like, if you ask, like, what I've been doing in this quarantine, I've been working, but I've also been just, like, yeah, just trying to, like, entertain myself to like laugh and like share that with my friends and you know it's like I'm not sending this individually to my friends necessarily but just like in my Instagram stories and stuff and like then I don't have to like it may feel more exhausting to like you know keep reaching out to individual people which I do that sometimes but if I'm just like hey I just watched this funny thing it's easy for me to reshare it and then, like, yeah. all of these people just, like, got all of this joy um, <laughs> that I am experiencing right now in my, like, TikTok binge. Oh, my God. The TikTok binge is so real. It is. I my I need all of the good um, black and indigenous and queer creators because they're the best. And, like, yes. once you set your, once your TikTok knows that's what you want to see, <laughs> like, algorithm. man. The hits just keep coming. It's so good. I I have not 
I have not done a TikTok dance or anything yet. Oh um, god, I can't. I'm I just can't. a watcher right now. I can't now. learn them. I'm so nervous. <laughs> I feel yeah. like I'm a lost generation because, like, I'm close enough to Gen Z where I like, I see them. I know what. I technically know what is quote unquote cool, yep. but I still feel like kind of an old person. Yes. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, how do you want people to um, find and interact with your work? I know you have a lot of different spaces that you're curating. Yeah, um, I'm most active on Instagram. Um, my personal page is Allison Thompson. It's A L Y S O N. Um, and you can find links to my other work, like in that bio. Um, so I had been running a group called mixed feelings and that's for, uh, it's a like community building project for multiracial folks, um, in one sense. And then also kind of this like building of representation and education amongst people that don't identify that way. Um, so cause of quarantine, it's kind of on pause, um, sure. and trying to figure out like, okay, if this is going to go on forever, like, do we start having online meetups and things like that? But I've just been trying to like survive and cope and like my job already takes enough of my energy, but, um, but yeah, that's definitely like, a, I love just like also t- talking to other mixed folks on social media, like through my personal page. Um, so I'm always down for video chats and stuff too. Um, but yeah, so that's like a branch of what I do. And then I work for um, a podcast and community called Irresistible Movements, formerly known as Healing Justice. Um, and I highly recommend that Um we have a lot of resources on basically how to integrate like social justice and care um, and just really have sustainable practices in our work. And I think that that is super needed right now because like, even though we're in a pandemic, we're also in an election year and this pandemic is like revealing all of this shit that we've all been saying is like wrong with with America or the world and so there's this sense of like we want to take action but we also really need to take care of ourselves and each other and I think that we present those conversations in a really beautiful way so we talk to organizers and activists from all over in all different kinds of organizations doing all different kinds of work and every interview is like accompanied with a practice as well um to help you to like add some like care into your toolbox whether it's taking a sacred shower or like meditation or um, a lot of like group practices too so i'm really excited to work with them and that sounds incredible yeah i feel like i just i I, for so long i have felt pulled between progressive activism and Mm self-healing and they don't have to be separate Mm -hmm. like in fact they shouldn't be like if we're if we're thinking about healing ourselves and we take into account all of the systems that are daily harming us and harming those around us Mm -hmm. then there should be convergence there but Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm really glad that y'all are creating that space because we definitely need it. For sure. Yeah. And if you just look up healing justice as a principle, it has a long lineage, especially among black women um, of just, yeah, integrating this like realization that like healing 
is the resistance and like practicing care and like bringing this like future vision of the world into the present um, whether it's through an event or just an act of care to ourselves or like building this like world within this like larger world um, like that's how we're really like resisting and like practicing this activism of a world that where everybody is like secure and taken care of and experiencing liberation um and i'm just a really big fan of that and just realizing like movements are not these like separate entities but like movements are made up of people and like movements reflect the practices of the people and so like if people are not taking care or not living sustainably like movements will fall apart um and will not be sustainable either so Wow, that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, so that's so and much of, like, what I write about personally, too. Like, I, I write about my, like, personal healing journey, but that's part of my healing journey, too. And I'm a sociologist, like, through education, and so I just nerd out about all of the <laughs> things. It's, like, perfect for, like, a nine who's just, like, everything is interconnected and, like, there are the things behind the things. I can just go hard on that. Um but yeah, and the link to my book um, is in my bio as well. It's called Notes on Becoming, um, and it's kind of just forever available. It's a um, order on demand or print on demand. Um, oh, cool. So, yeah. Okay. Amazing. Um, Allison, thank you so much for sharing this hour with me. I am absolutely... I feel so excited to know. I mean, obviously I knew that you existed, but now I feel like I, I understand your work and your vision on a deeper level. Mm. And I am grateful to, to bear witness to it. Yay. I'm so excited (laughs) that you reached out and we got to talk and yeah, I'm a huge fan as well. So all the best to you in this time as well. Y'all, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so grateful to have had you here with us, um, sharing this space together. I would love to keep the conversation going with you. So if you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Hannah Posh, that's H-A-N-N-A-H-P-A-A-S-C-H. You can find the Millenniagram hashtags on both. Let's keep the conversation going. This has been Millenniagram.